1: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch.
0: Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad and crazy martinis for conservatives today. Brought to you today by CarShield. For as low as $99 per month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for covered repairs. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention the code martini or visit carshield.com and use the code martini to save 10%. Much more on that a little bit later in the podcast. Jim, our first two martinis today dealing with the the Democrats wrapping up their convention. It was nice that we didn't have to watch more than two hours a night. Uh, Last night I thought was mainly kind of a A throwaway night. Uh, They didn't uh, save many of their heavy hitters. Maybe that was just because they didn't want anybody to possibly outshine the nominee. Uh, We'll get to Biden specifically a little bit more in the second martini. But uh, Jim, uh, the good martinis at the Democratic convention is over. Uh, Every convention on some level is a four-day exercise in propaganda, but this one really takes the cake. I mean, uh, the Democrats are the ones at the forefront of uh, cancel culture. They're not saying a word about uh, the carnage going on in the cities right now, weeks on end, uh, in Portland, Seattle, Chicago, uh, New York, on and on and on. The defund the police, uh, nobody really decided to talk about that very much, not surprisingly, of course. And so they present themselves as sunshine and roses when they're the ones uh, excusing or in some cases endorsing a lot of the problems that are out there. But whether it's them trying to promote climate change and you know, getting rid of guns and just their, their overall agenda or just slamming Republicans across the board, it's good to have it over.
1: Yeah. If, you, if, by the way, if listeners out there said, hmm, I wonder if Jim and Greg, as they were trying to put together today's podcast, I wonder if Jim's idea of the good martini was simply, it's over. Um, <laughs> your, your instincts are correct. And, I, I, you know, let's love being the, uh, trying not to be the soulless partisan hacks that we are, uh, let's try to give a little credit where it's due. I think if this really does stand out as a technical achievement, this was not easy uh, to have so many people appearing remotely. There, there were a few technical issues here and there, but generally they were pretty, uh, pretty mild, pretty brief. Um, everybody seemed to work out. There were some fun moments, uh, very rarely here, but you know stuff like the calamari uh, in the Rhode Island, uh, uh, you know, Order of the States and all that stuff. Hey, good for that, you know. I think the last night had a genuinely inspiring moment with this, uh, 13 year old boy, Braden Harrington, uh, demonstrating his determination to overcome his stutter and his ex- telling the story of his interaction with Biden on that. So, you know, look, th- this was, I-, I think this went out and did most of what the Democrats wanted it to do. Uh, people like myself who are more or less obligated professionally to watch all four nights probably were bored to tears. Uh, I think unless you were just the kind of person who, who was a diehard Democrat, you probably weren't enjoying it that much, but they kept most of the speeches shorter than usual, kept it moving, as you said, two hours a night, which I think is really all you needed. I don't think anyone really needs the 20 minute speech at 6 p.m from the lieutenant governor of some you know state. This did everything the Democrats wanted to do. They pulled it off smoothly and it had a couple of good moments. so
0: good for you Democrats. that's that's what went right this week. A couple of quick follow-ups on that. Uh, first of all, I thought two very awkward moments, which are perhaps good for Republicans. I don't think it changes a lot of minds. Uh, whoever was writing jokes for Julia Louis-Dreyfus last night mm-hmm. as the moderator, that seemed way off. And I know it's you know, when you can't have an audience reaction, it's, it's going to be awkward for her too. But I mean, even when she was like talking about how Biden called her after she was diagnosed with cancer and she turned it into a cheap shot at Trump, it's just like, you're forcing these insults. I know... Uh, you know, he levels plenty of insults too, but uh, it, it, it just really didn't seem to fit the moment in a lot of those situations. And also I thought at a particularly awkward moment last night, Jim, was the, the Zoom call of the failed presidential candidates with Cory Booker moderating <laughs> and them just sharing their Joe Biden stories and pretending that they're all hunky-dory now. And uh, I noticed they didn't have 25 people on the Zoom call, but they had half a dozen or so and somehow Beto made the cut. That seemed to be forced beyond belief.
1: Where's Eric Swalwell? A <laughs> uh, couple of no- it, it is a good point. I, I just got a very much a behind the music, you know, vibe from all of this. You know, the Democrats were riding high and they were all in excitement, but eventually they couldn't handle success. You know? um, although maybe that applies best to the Kamala Harris campaign so one thing that jumps out, by the way, you notice that there was zero Tulsi Gabbard at the convention, mm-hmm. and you might be like, eh, hey, you know, okay." Well, here's the thing: traditionally, if you win any delegates, you're there. Gabbard said via Twitter that she was not invited to participate in any way, shape, or form. Right before we started taping, right, I find out something interesting from um, a guy by the name of D. A. Osorio. He's a, I just know him as a Jets fan. He's actually a, an, over in Maryland who ran for Democrats. He was a big. He was a Kamala Harris supporter. But there's this interesting kind of murmuring going on in some Democratic circles arguing that Julian Castro was snubbed uh, because he didn't get a a speaking slot. And that say Pete Buttigieg did and a couple others did. Apparently, the Biden campaign and the DNC did invite Julian Castro to speak. It might have been a very brief appearance. We don't know what that was. But uh, Julian Castro's response was he's not speaking because he felt the convention wasn't diverse enough. (laughs) <laughs> now maybe the initial speaker lineup didn't look diverse in a, but you know what we watch over four nights that was a pretty dark like like diversity was like the overwhelming theme of it so like what were you looking for in there castro space aliens like like they, pretty much everybody was it was in there in one form or another and the other thing i just noted to to ds is that like think about it Julian Castro was the only candidate during the debates who went after Biden suggesting that he was going senile or he was having memory issues or that his mind was not working as well as it used to. And a lot of people thought it was personal. A lot of people thought it was out of line. And oh, by the way, like Castro kept accusing him of, are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? And in fact, he wasn't forgetting. He, you know, it, it, was, it was one of those things where Biden was actually right on the facts of what was going on there. So in my mind, the fact that the Biden campaign, the fact that DNC invited Julian Castro to speak, speaks very well of the Biden campaign. Uh, that they really, that was very gracious of them. They didn't have to do that. And then, of course, if Julian Castro decides not to you know, partake of it, that's fine, but don't let anybody run around thinking you're being snubbed or something unfair happened here. And separately, it's kind of a similar deal with Gabbard, who I think, by the way, yes, if you win delegates, you really should get bang the gavel to bring it into you know, session. Give some cameo appearance. Um, and the fact that she was not invited at all. You know, on the one hand, I seemed a little unfair, but that having been said, look, if you are a young upstart who does not have a big base in the party, and you go after one of the old guard who is well-known and who does, in a very tough, personal way, you come at the king, you best not miss, and you shouldn't be surprised that you end up getting snubbed in some, sh- in some fashion. So, um, you know, it doesn't surprise me. There, there was a, probably the most painful session of, like, the failed candidate reunion um, but it was kind of an interesting. I guess it was one way to kind of check the box and get okay. Here's something for Cory Booker to do, and okay, here's you know, here's Bernie again, and, and
0: all that kind of stuff. And Andrew Yang got to actually speak, so that's different than yeah. We have more debates. than he got in most of the CNN debates. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Well, I you know, the Castro uh, reminds me of the fact that there are some folks uh, in the Latino community who think that Biden is giving them the stiff arm in this campaign, which is what led to that whole exchange, what was it, a week or two ago now with the Hispanic journalists in that, in that interview, uh, where Biden talked about how they're incredibly diverse, unlike the African-American community. So there is a beef uh, from some folks on the Latino side that uh, that he's not giving them enough attention or making them a prominent enough Focal point of the campaign, but Jim, let's talk about our good friends over at CarShield here as we uh, split up our uh, convention coverage here, real quick. Uh, you know, saving money is not going to happen if Democrats win. Uh, we're going to be spending a whole lot more. A new New Deal, in fact, is what uh, Joe Biden really wants here. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you. Have to keep spending money that you don't need to spend either and that's where CarShield can come in because computer systems in cars are the new normal from electronically controlled transmissions to touch screen displays to dozens of sensors you can't often fix these new features yourself. It's not like uh, you just whip out the toolbox and, and, and go to town and go buy a part somewhere. It's specialized stuff. You got to take it to the dealer. They got to plug it in and, and take care of it. And that's going to cost money. So when something like that breaks, and it's going to break, that digital stuff eventually will certainly, it could cost a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. And so you hope that it's going to last a long time. I told the story not that long ago about my wife uh, taking our new van on the, the road and uh, the touchscreen display just bloop, went out. Uh, she took it into the dealer, had to get it uh, adjusted. But you want to be protected and you don't want your wallet to be empty when that's over. And uh, to avoid that, that's why you need Car Car CarShield has affordable protection
1: plans that can save you thousands For a covered repair including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. The people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is an absolute must in times like these. Monthly plans can be customized to your needs with rates as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitments. And CarShield gives you options that other companies won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped more than 1 million customers, so drive with confidence
0: knowing you've got coverage from America's number one auto protection company. Now for as low as $99 per month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for a covered repair. Just call 800-CAR-6000 and mention the code martini or visit carshield.com and use the code martini to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code martini. A deductible may apply. All right, Jim, let's talk about our bad martini now here. And Joe Biden, very early on in his speech last night, basically presenting himself as the answer to the darkness of the last four years, promising, yeah, I'm a Democrat, but if I'm elected, I'm going to be working hard for all of you. Here's what he said. I'm a proud Democrat, and I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility. I accept this nomination for president of the United States of America. But while I'll be a Democratic candidate... I'll be an American president. I'll work hard for those who didn't support me as hard for them as I did for those who did vote for me. That's the job of a president to represent all of us, not just our base or our party. This is not a partisan moment. This must be an American moment. So Jim, uh, he probably believes that on some level, most politicians do, but obviously you run on an agenda and you know that roughly half of the country on most of those issues isn't going to agree with you. So if you're pushing gun control, if you're pushing banning fracking, Whatever it is, most of the things that Joe Biden wants to do republicans aren 't going to like. He might think that he 's helping them, but ultimately he 's pursuing an agenda that half of the country 's not going to like it 's the same thing if a republican's uh, president they 're going to be pushing an agenda for the most part that uh, that the democrats aren 't going to like and so ultimately, unless it 's you know an imminent threat, whether it 's terrorism or, or the virus or something like that uh, there 's not going to be too many issues where most of the country is going to be rallying around you you 're going to be trying to get to 50 plus one on most of these issues, especially in the legislature. So uh, Joe Biden pretending, especially looking at Joe Biden's career of not exactly bucking his party pretty much ever. uh, and, And it's a party that's lurching hard left on so many issues. And he's embraced that over the past five months. Hard to see him actually backing that up if he's elected. You know, anytime
1: you as a Democratic candidate invoke consciously or subconsciously Michael Dukakis, the Democrats should be panicking. July 22nd, 1988, Michael Dukakis goes to his convention. The Democrats are having the convention in Atlanta. Dukakis declares in his acceptance speech, this election isn't about ideology. It's about competence. That's a very, you know, that's a not so subtle way of saying, don't look too hard at my ideology. In fact, if I completely disagree with what you want to do for the country, I don't want you to be competent. I'm happier with an incompetent foe than a competent foe. Um, and you notice how much of last night and, and really the full four nights of the convention showcased probably, I think, would be, you know, across the aisle, a broad recognition of Joe Biden's best quality, his empathy. Right? He's been through terrible stuff in life. He's lost, he's buried children. Nobody should have to do that. Uh, buried a wife. He, he, life has hit, given Joe Biden some absolute tragedies. And his ability to go on is probably the most inspirational and, and best thing about him. You notice they didn't talk a lot about, say, you know, the crime bill. Back in the 1990s. They didn't spend a lot of time talking about anything Joe Biden actually done. Uh, They didn't talk about his overseeing of the stimulus money and how making sure none of that was wasted and all the shovel-ready jobs. Um, There were vague references to foreign policy, but not a great deal. Mostly that Joe Biden had met with a lot of foreign leaders, and that's the sort of thing that happens when you're vice president for eight years. Uh, No reference, of course, to Robert Gates saying that Joe Biden had been wrong about every foreign policy decision of the past generation. There was not a lot of focus on what Biden has actually done and not a lot of focus on what Joe Biden actually wants to do. Now today's Morning Jolt, I kind of walked through kind of the, kind of your best case scenario for a Biden presidency and your worst case scenario for a Biden presidency. The best case scenario focuses a lot on Biden just being, well, first of all, not Donald Trump, but also being a not terribly ideological Democratic president. He's not Bernie Sanders. He doesn't seem to have any natural affinity to the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the squad. And so maybe we get four years of a kindly grandpa president who just kinda uh, wants everybody to get along and kinda takes the air out of the, the balloon of, of America's partisan anger. It's kinda, you know, we just have we just have a caretaker president for the next couple of years. And that that doesn't sound that bad. Um But I just don't think Joe Biden was put on this earth to veto Democratic legislation. I I think that once Biden's in the White House, first of all, if he wins, they're keeping the House. That that seems very likely for Democrats. And they have a good chance of controlling the Senate. Chuck Schumer has already said, Democrats are pretty widely on board with eliminating the filibuster. So all of a sudden, boom, this sudden change, absolute rule by 51 Democratic senators, say. And they're going to send a lot of stuff to Biden's desk expecting him to uh, to, do it. Green New Deal... Uh, you know, they, they basically, you're going to get everything that comes out of the Pelosi agenda, everything that, you know, ironically, Democrats had the option of voting for in the Democratic primary. They could have voted for Bernie Sanders. The first three states did this. And then the rest of the party said, eh, I don't think I want to do this. Now, maybe they did it because they thought Bernie Sanders couldn't win. But I think a decent number of Democrats looked at the Sanders agenda of eliminating uh, private health insurance. And they were like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. That seems a little too far, a little sweeping. Let's, let's go. We're, we're, we got a lot of problems as is. Let's not make any giant turn everything upside down changes. Let's just get back to normal. And that's, you know, I think, I, think that's, I would argue that's why Biden won. I don't know if Biden will have the ability to deliver back to normal because a big chunk of his party doesn't want to go back to normal. They want the Bernie Sanders AOC squad revolution we'll see how things shake out. I think it's very possible he turns into a rubber stamp for a much more radical agenda than he's talking about right now. And oh, by the way, Greg, this is all assuming Biden's around for four years. I mean, I just, I just picture every day in the Oval Office, Vice President Kamala Harris comes in and says, so, um, how you feeling, boss? (laughs) You you look a little tired, right? are, are Are you coming down with something? Tell you what, go to Walter Reed, I'll take care of stuff for here while you're gone. Take the day.
0: Don't worry. I'll be fine. It's hard to see that he would be uh, much of a a check on on the far left. Uh, He certainly hasn't been since he's essentially locked up the the, the nomination. Uh, And it's interesting to watch the Democrats try to balance, essentially, uh, interests that are in conflict with one another, right? I mean, you've got organized labor, which likes to build stuff and then the Greens, which don't like stuff being built. And then you've got the secular left, which uh, in, in certain sessions uh, away from the primetime coverage, eliminated under God from the Pledge of Allegiance. And at the same time, they kept talking about how deep Joe Biden's faith is, because you got to appeal to the, to the, the secular left that's in the streets right now. But also, if you want a, a good turnout in the African-American community, you got a lot of people of faith there. So it's a balancing act in a lot of different a lot of different ways. And a couple other things that, that, that struck me, and these are almost in conflict with one another. First of all, Jim, I think anybody, and I'm sure most people have uh, suffered a, a trial or a loss in some way, you remember the people that go out of their way to reach out to you when that happens. And the fact that they took that time, took that effort, made you a priority in their life, that stays with you more than necessarily what they believe about a particular issue. And so I think focusing on that, to some extent, in the convention uh, was smart. And they're obviously trying to create a contrast with Trump. The question is whether uh, that alone, and emphasizing that so much, is going to be enough, uh, if there are any fence sitters left out there in the electorate, uh, to make that big of a difference. But at the same time, you you, you got this message out there that uh, Joe Biden is kind to every single person he meets. Uh, And in some cases, you see a lot of stories from the campaign trail, and even before he started running for president this time, where he seems to have uh, gone out of his way to help people who really couldn't help him much. So the folks on the Amtrak, uh, the kid with the stuttering issue that you mentioned, and so forth. And so those are good stories. But when it comes to politics, it's not necessarily the same way. Uh, Remember in New Hampshire, he called that woman a lying dog-faced pony soldier, (laughs) when she disagreed with him. Uh, look Fat in Iowa, uh, when that guy disagreed with him, was asking questions about Hunter in Ukraine. The uh, factory worker in Michigan he said was full of bleep uh, when it came to their debate over guns on the, on the factory floor. And I'm guessing if you asked Clarence Thomas or the family of, of Robert Bork uh, whether Joe Biden was a fair guy in those situations, you probably get a different response. And the one that sticks out to me, Jim, uh, didn't come up very much in, in this convention, uh, at least this allegation. But remember, for decades, Joe Biden claimed that his first wife was killed by a drunk driver, which simply wasn't true. She was actually at fault in the accident, but for years publicly, He threw the blame at the guy who was driving the the tractor trailer, but it was actually obeying the law and wasn't drunk at all. And so that's obviously not going to come out in the Democratic convention, but it is part of the story.
1: You know, Greg, I think the one thing that everybody in America can agree upon is that Joe Biden has always been a decent guy who focuses on uniting people, not dividing people. If you doubt that, just remember, I'm going to put you all back in chains. (laughs) It, it, there are there are things that it's easy to like about Joe Biden, but there there this was definitely an airbrushed aspect of his record and arguably his character as well. And uh, look, at, you can see why the Democrats are doing it, but um, also by the way, when you run on character and and decency and all this kind of soft focus emotional stuff, it doesn't really build you a mandate for any particular policy agenda. But I guess the attitude of the Biden team is, hey, we'll worry about that de- we'll worry about that
0: once we're in office. All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4 slash martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared. 20 times faster than normal. So visit 4patriots.com martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com martini. That's 4patriots.com martini. All right, let's talk about our crazy martini now, Jim. And we mentioned briefly in the first martini how the Democrats really didn't talk about the incessant protests going on in major American cities. I'm not sure I mentioned Chicago in that list at the time, but Chicago is certainly one of them. Mayor Lori Lightfoot's been less than effective, I think is the most polite way to put it uh, in dealing with all of this from uh, the looting downtown to the constant string of murders going on in different neighborhoods of Chicago. But uh, as uh, she embraces the reform the police movement, take it to the streets, make them uncomfortable movement, She does not want to be made uncomfortable. Here is the Chicago Tribune. The Chicago Police Department has effectively banned protesters from demonstrating on Mayor Lori Lightfoot's block in the Logan Square neighborhood, ordering officers to arrest anyone who refuses to leave. Some neighbors in the Logan Square area have complained about the city's approach to protests around Lightfoot's house, which at times has included checking residents' IDs before letting them close. Ron Kamenecki, a 69-year-old patent attorney and bike shop owner, that's an interesting combo, who lives on Bernard Street, a few houses from Lightfoot said, some neighbors have been frustrated by the police presence and barricades. Quote, I came up with the name Fort Laurie because it's so hard to get in and out. And uh, her response has essentially been here, quote, I think that residents of this city, understanding the nature of the threats that we are receiving on a daily basis, on a daily basis, understand I have a right to make sure that my home is secure. So, Jim, other means of keeping homes secure include having police and owning firearms. Two things I'm not sure that Lori Lightfoot and the, the far left are real excited about.
1: Yeah, this, you know, I, I could just knock her around and say this is bad. But I think what, what we see in that statement, besides the usual arrogance, besides the ludicrous double standard and, and you know, to use, the, to use the word of the week from the Democratic Convention, empathy. G Mayor Lightfoot, maybe there are lots of other people in Chicago who feel that same fear from uh, criminals, from violence, from looters, from people who are, are, you know, mayhem on their minds. Um, You know, maybe, you know, what you're feeling about your neighborhood and your house is what they're feeling about their neighborhoods and their houses, as well as their businesses. And they don't get a personal protective detail going everywhere they go where you do, the way you do. So maybe what you, know, what, what you see as a very reasonable expectation on your part for you know, how you should be protected and how your home should be protected, maybe everybody deserves that. Maybe they're all in the same boat. Maybe this is... You know, the fact that she can't see that is, I think, a uh, depressing and, and very clarifying uh, aspect of all this. But there's one other thing which I think is kind of jumps out of this is that... Um, Yuval Levin has been, he's got a new book out. He's explored this concept, this idea in a bunch of essays that have all been really good. And it's basically this idea that a lot of leaders in America no longer, no longer seem to practice or even think of their jobs in the concept of stewardship. You hear a lot of talk about you know, public service but they don't really seem to spend much time serving anybody else. Like the idea, responsibility, leadership is supposed to be responsibility. It's supposed to be a little bit of a burden. It's supposed to be something you, you probably don't want because you have to accept the fact that you are expected as a leader maybe to make some sacrifices, maybe to not think of yourself first, maybe to think about your duty. What, what, what's the asked of you? What you are expected to prioritize is other people. And this means that, you know, you, you can't just say, well, I'm going to take care of me, I'm going to take care of mine, and you guys are on your own. There, there's, there's a whole theme of the Democratic, you know, convention this past week, right? Um, you know, you can see it in all kinds of different ways. One of the quotes that's popping into my mind is from Michael Connolly's Bosch novels, right? Either everybody matters or nobody matters, right? Either, you know, either everybody counts or nobody counts. And here is, you know, the mayor of Chicago saying, well, look, my neighborhood and my house count more it is more important to protect them. It is more important to ensure that nothing bad happens to them than to everybody else in the city. And that is the most fundamentally un-American concept as you can possibly get. She deserves every bit of criticism she's going to get for this comment. But I just also think at some point you just would say to the people of Chicago, what do you need to see to say this isn't working and we need to demand better? I, put it, I leave it in your hands, Chicago, because you've had some good mayors, you've had some terrible mayors. I understand the state of Illinois, you know, it's a you know, quadrennial tradition of indicting and jailing the, the governor. Uh, <laughs> you've got a bunch of problems, but I think you can do better than this, and I hope you no longer continue to say this
0: is good enough Chicago. Yeah, the good news for Lori Lightfoot, which is the bad news for millions of other people, The mayors around this country have just absolutely stunk it up this year, from de Blasio to Lightfoot to Garcetti to Durkin to Wheeler. I mean, there's nobody out there that you're looking at and going, you know, they really know what they're doing. Uh, They've all been just a train wreck fry in Minneapolis. I mean, everybody's trying to get ahead of the woke parade, and in the process, their city's going down the toilet.
1: So to preview a piece that will be on National Review later today, I'm going to give you a really short version of this, Greg. So the Democrats have this idea of themselves of being the rebels and the outsiders and anti-establishment and on. And the short answer is like, at some point, you become the establishment. At some point, you become the authority. And at some point, you stop being the person on the outside throwing the rocks. You become the person they're throwing the rocks at. And your job is to get people to stop throwing the rocks. Your job is to say, no, I have this responsibility for order. I have this responsibility for for enforcing the law. And we've seen prosecutors who say, no, I don't, we're no longer prosecuting for riots. We're no longer prosecuting for, you know, like if they've abdicated their duties. And so that's, you know, the past week at the democratic convention, I think was very illuminated the difference between how Democrats see themselves and what they actually are. And it's a very, you know, a widening gap between those two, uh, those two things.
0: Very well said. That's exactly right. Uh, or at least how they want us to see them. That's uh, just, just crazy. So, Jim, we'll see you on Monday when the Republicans have their turn to kick it off. These back-to-back convention weeks, I'm just sure you love the, the prime time, four straight days, two weeks in a row. Can't wait. <laughs> Well, we'll see what they've learned from the Democrats. We'll see what they do better or maybe not as well. So uh, until then, Jim, have a good weekend. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please uh, remember our great sponsor over at CarShield. Uh, just call them at... Call. Just call them at 800-CAR-6000 and mention the code martini or visit carshield.com and use the code martini to save 10%. Please subscribe to the 3 Martini Lunch. Also, if you don't mind, we'd love to have a kind review and a five-star rating from you. And don't forget us on those home devices. Just say, play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great weekend and we'll see you Monday on the 3 Martini Lunch. Tax day is coming. Oh, no.